the very first part of that passage every week this year, the one who puts these words into practice, because our theme for this year is living an abundant life. And our key verse for the year is John 10.10, where Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus intended for us to have eternal life, but he also intended, with the Holy Spirit's help, that we should live a life of joy and hope and peace and abundance. In fact, he said, I came that they might live an abundant life, a rich, full, overflowing life. That's his plan for us. Not all of us live at that level, however. We have got something wrong somewhere, so that's what we're working on this year is how to live the abundant life. Our mental picture for the year is a wheat field. Uh, It's a reminder of an abundant harvest. And, of course, it's got some similarities in it to us reaping an abundant life. Farmer has to clear his field, get the weeds and problems out first. Then he has to plant the right thing and fertilize properly before he can realize a harvest. Similarly, we have to do a few things to reap the abundant life that God has promised us. Uh, We have cleared the field uh, in the sense we covered six major life-stealing problems, problems that keep us from enjoying an abundant life. We talked about those in our first series, and uh, they've got to be hacked out of our lives. Certain things have just got to be gotten rid of. Uh, In this series, now we're planting seeds, uh, seeds that will lead to an abundant life. We've assumed in this series that I'm talking to Christians. Uh, I know we have a few visitors, a few non-believers here, but we are generally talking uh, to Christians. Then you have faith, you understand the Word of God, you pray, you read the Bible. But some of us are doing those things and not experiencing an abundant life. So our seeds that we've chosen are firm convictions, uh, foundational beliefs that have got to guide our way of thinking. Uh, They've got to direct uh, our every waking moment. Uh, They've got to be so firmly planted in our hearts and souls and minds uh, that we live that way, we talk that way, we walk that way. Uh, Our whole life has to be driven by these four foundational seeds, I've called them. The four seeds are, uh, I am, he is, I will, and he will. Obviously, we're completing those as we work through them. Uh, But these are things that are simple statements. Uh, Hopefully, you've got the first two memorized already, and I think you're going to be able to memorize all four of them. Uh, I'm going to keep them real short. They're very simple. They're easy to memorize, and that was my intention. Uh, But knowing them, being able to say them, is not enough. And we've got to plant them deeply. Uh, We've got to have them in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, and on our tongue, and uh, in our life. We've got to live the truth of them. Then we'll see the abundant life. Seed number one was, I am a child of the king. If you wake up every morning with that on your lips, or in your heart at least, I am a child of the king. I am chosen, I am blessed, I am adopted, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven. That'll change the way you live. And it'll enable God to bless you. The second seed was, he is my father. 
He is my perfect father, if you prefer that. We talked about that a bit. Uh, As my father, he provides everything I need. He protects me from everything that would harm me. He is a personal God. He is always available. He is a present God. He's with me at all times. I'm a child of the king, and he's my father. Uh, We've got that relationship down. That's the, the two we've done so far. I am, and he is. I'm a child of the king. He's my father. Now, what do we do? When I say, what do we do? I mean, what do we, us, and what does he do? I'm a child of the king and he's my father. What happens next? How's that relationship work? So that's what we're going to work on next. Let's look, look at seed number three. Uh, I am a child of the king. He is my father and I will, I will do something. All right, if you read the Bible from front to back, uh, you see a real common theme in God's relationship with his children. All the way through it, this, you can't read the Bible without getting this. This is just a major part of it. In the Old Testament, when God was dealing with his people, uh, and to the start of Joshua and all before that too, but at the start of Joshua, it's clearly stated, the Lord said to Joshua and the people, you be careful... To obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. You may start to see the connection here. The tie-in to the abundant life. What's the key to the abundant life in the Old Testament? You be careful to obey everything I tell you. Don't go to the right or the left. You do what I told you. You obey Jesus, when he came to earth, he made an amazing statement in John 8, 29. He said, I always do what pleases him. I know my father's will. I know what he wants. I know what he wants me to do, and I always do it. I always do what pleases him. Philippians 2, 8, Paul said to the Philippian church, Jesus left heaven. He gave all that up. He humbled himself. And he became obedient. What was the key to Jesus' life? He became obedient. The Hebrews writer said in 5.8, although he was a son, he was God, he learned obedience. Jesus talked about it when he told people what to do. He said in John 14.23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching." Uh, That's the condition. That's the proof that we love Jesus if we obey his teaching. When he met the fishermen in Mark 1.17, what did he say to them? Simply come, follow me. Didn't give them a whole lot of explanation. Didn't lay out a big plan that here's what you'll get if you do and here's what you'll get if you don't. He just said, come follow me. They had a choice to obey him or not. In Mark 8.34, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, if you want to be a follower of mine, here's what you got to do. You got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Just follow me. Well, if we're following him, we'll obey him. We'll do what he said. Uh, All through the rest of the New Testament, the writers in Colossians 3.17, Paul said, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would Jesus want me to do this? Then I'll do it. I'll do it in his name. First John 2, verses 3 and 4, John said, We can be sure we know him if we obey his commands. 
And just in case you're a little slow and didn't get that, he added to that, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The liar, the truth's not in him. It's pretty clear. It's pretty (laughs) abundantly clear from the front of the back to the Bible that obedience is of supreme importance. So obviously, you figured out the third seed by now. The third seed that we must plant is, I will obey him. I'm a child of the king. He is my father. I will obey him. Let's make sure we understand obedience. We've got to understand obedience if we're going to get this lesson. Some of you may remember the 1988 Winter Olympics. They had a special competition. They invited blind skiers. Yes, I said blind skiers. Well, you ask, how in the world could blind skiers go through the course and miss all those flags and and go where they're supposed to go? Well, fairly simple, actually. They paired them with a sighted skier who skied right along close to them and told them when it was time to turn. When it was time to turn, the sighted skier would simply yell left or right, and the blind skier obeyed. Couldn't see, didn't understand why, didn't know a whole lot of things about it, but trusted his partner, obeyed, turned left, turned right, did exactly what he was supposed to do and made it down the course. That's obedience. Obedience is so simple, we understand it don't need to spend much time talking about it. All of us understand it, especially if you've had a child. You understand the concept, at least, don't you? Uh, I realize that we have a lot of different parenting styles here. We have, you probably have some different standards of what obedience means in your house. But just for a moment, in your fantasies. In your fantasies, you know what obedience is, don't you? In your fondest dreams, every and any command or order or request or even wish is met with immediate, complete, and cheerful obedience. I said it was a fantasy, but it's okay to dream occasionally. You can think about what that would be like, can't you? And if you can think about what that would be like, you'd know what obedience is. Just to say, would you do this? I'd like you to do this. I wish, and they just do it. Wouldn't that be something? You say, that's not realistic? Well, (laughs) I, I... It's not realistic. I I have to threaten my kids. I have to ground them. I have to cut off their allowance. I have to do all these things. Well, there's different levels of obedience. We're going to talk about that this morning, but you understand the concept. Kids grow from where they are, hopefully, to another level of obedience, and we're going to work through that in just a moment. There's all kinds of obedience, let's say it that way. In fact, in the Bible, there's all kinds of obedience. There's a lot of people obeyed in the Bible for all kinds of different reasons. I don't think anybody got grounded, but pretty close. Jonah got more than grounded, didn't he? Why 
Why did Jonah go to Nineveh the second time? He was afraid not to. He obeyed God. He was afraid not to, so he went. Abraham, however, in Hebrews 11.8, it says that Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Abraham's a sample of obedience. In fact, he's called the father of the faithful. He got some instructions from God that made no sense. He didn't understand. Didn't know why. But he went. He just did them. He obeyed. In 2 Kings 5, Naaman the leper, you can read about him. God's command to him through the prophet was to go dip seven times in the old muddy Jordan River because he had leprosy and that would fix him. Did Naaman want to do that? Naaman says, that's the dumbest idea I ever heard. I, I don't want to do that. I will not do it. His servant reasoned with him and said, well, if he'd have told you something hard to do, you'd do that, wouldn't you? Why don't you try this? He didn't believe it would work. He didn't want to do it, but he obeyed. God took care of things. First Kings 17, Elijah, an amazing story. God told Elijah to go see the widow of Zarephath because she'd have food. He goes and finds her. He says, would you bring me a little something to eat? She said, I'm sorry, buddy, but I've got one little bit of flour left. I've got one little bit of oil left, just enough to make a couple of pancakes for me and my son, and then we're going to die. Because there's a famine here. Oh, we're done. Elijah said, okay, I understand that. Well, you go use that flour and oil, and you make me a cake. And you bring it to me, and everything will be all right. You talk about obedience. Uh, the widow of Zerubbath did it. She went and used the last that she had and made uh, the man of God a, a cake and her flour and her oil didn't run out anymore. Acts chapter 5, the apostles, when threatened with death and imprisonment, what did they say? We must obey God. I hear you guys on the bench telling us we can't preach anymore, but we must obey God rather than men. So you do what you got to do, but we're going to obey God. Even Jesus in the garden said, Father, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do this. If there's any other way, let's try some other way. But if this is your will, if this is what you want, remember he's the one who said, I always do what pleases him. So he said, if this is your will, I'll do it. I will obey. He learned obedience. So there's all kinds of obedience in the Bible. And children children of God in the Bible needed to learn obedience sometimes. Our children need to learn obedience. And I believe we, if we're going to experience an abundant life, definitely need to learn obedience. That's why I picked this as one of our top four, is I will obey him. Now, let's think about how that works. Let's look at four kinds uh, of obedience. First and most basically, we obey out of fear. Do you know that? You know children at some level obey out of fear. There's an early level where kids don't grasp the concept of a hot stove. They don't grasp the concept that those cute little outlets on the wall can hurt you. Uh, They don't get electricity. They don't understand that stuff. So you need obedience, so a swat on the hand 
produces obedience. Now, they can conceptualize that. That's a high form of motivation in a little kid's mind. Okay, the last time I reached for that, my hand hurt for a while. So I can understand that. I don't think I'll do that again. I will obey the next time they say no. Now, I understand at this point that some of you modern parents don't believe in the rod of correction so much. It shows. Uh, But God still does advocate that. God's word still does say that fear is okay. A little bit of pain, a little bit of stimulation uh, helps a child focus on things. Now, this is not a parenting sermon, so I don't want to get off there too far. But this is a concept we've got to understand. We do obey out of fear. I remember well one day... When my niece Courtney was about two years old or so, she was staying at our house and we were in the front yard. She headed for the curb. Uncle Stephen said, no, stop. She kind of glanced at me and stepped off the curb. So I went and scooped her up and I swatted her on the bottom. And she looked at Uncle Stephen like the universe had tilted off its axis. Now, this had never happened before from Uncle Stephen. Happened at home, but not here. I thought I could get away with it here. Now, she stopped the next time I said, stop. Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, tells this heart-wrenching story. He said the first funeral that he ever conducted was for a little three-year-old girl, beautiful three-year-old girl. She was the first child, the first grandchild in her family. Unfortunately, she was spoiled. Henry Blackaby said he used to go to her house and he observed that she was allowed to ignore her parents' instructions. She was given that privilege. When they told her to come, she went. When they told her to sit down, she'd stand up. And her parents laughed. They thought it was really cute. One day, her parents had inadvertently left the gate of the front yard open, and they looked up to see her heading out the gate and toward the street. They also saw her car coming, speeding down the street. They, of course, screamed at her to stop. She paused briefly, glanced back at them, and then dashed into the street. Took her to the hospital, but she died of her injuries. Is fear the best reason to obey? No. No, it's it's not the best reason to obey, but it's okay. It's okay at an early level. And if you're at that level, the only way you are, the only reason you're doing what God says is because you're afraid not to, that's all right. Just obey. You'll grow up. Obey. Second, we obey sometimes because of duty. Many of you have heard the old story of fellow on Sunday morning who pulled the covers over his head and told his wife, I'm not going to church today. She asked him why, and he said, well, the people don't like me, and I don't like the music, and I just don't feel like it today. So she said, well, it's your Christian duty to go. He said, I know, I know, but i got to have a reason. Give me three good reasons that I ought to go, and maybe I'll go. She said, well, you need to go because, number one, God's Word tells you to. 
Number two, you've got to set a good example for our kids. And number three, you're the preacher. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know, that's one of the main roles of a preacher's wife is to remind the preachers of what their duty is. Sometimes. I'll tell you a secret. I'll confess here. I don't always like, I don't always want to do some of the things I'm called upon to do. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. And sometimes things come up that I don't want to do, I don't like to do them, it, it, I'm afraid to do them or something, and I'll talk to Cindy, i say, you think I ought to do this? She say, yeah, you need to do it. Yeah, you need to do that. Now, I like to preach most of the time. There's a few times a year when I don't really feel like getting up here. You know why I do? It's my duty. I do it out of my duty. And hopefully somebody profits from it, even though I do it for that kind of elementary reason. We do some things because we should do some things. I realize that's changing in this world. People don't think they ought to do anything if they don't want to or just because of duty. But we do some things because we should. We know they're right. It's our duty. Some of you are here this morning because of your duty. Now, God wants you to be here. He told you to be here. It's good for you. I understand all that. But it may just be duty this morning. You may just not have felt like rolling out this morning. Some of you are going to come back tonight out of duty. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for others if you come. Is duty the best reason to obey? No, it's not the best, but it's okay. It's okay at times. You, you do what's right all the time. You're learning obedience. You're learning how to obey. You're growing up. So just obey. At some point, children, both our children and God's children, catch on to something. Well, we kind of take a quantum leap in our thinking power. And we find out, we figure out finally that disobedience brings problems and obedience brings rewards. We start to figure that out. And so, number three, the third way, is we obey for our own good sometimes. We figure out that connection. And we start to obey to get the reward. After Hurricane Andrew down in Florida, a TV crew was down there filming the devastation. And they went to one neighborhood. There was only one house standing, and it really wasn't hurting much. In fact, the owner was out cleaning up the yard, but the house was in pretty good shape. And the reporter went over to him with the cameraman and said, Sir, why is your house the only one standing on this block? How did you escape? The owner said, Well, when I built this house, I followed the Florida State Code that was designed for hurricanes. I just followed it exactly. If they said use two-by-six roof trusses, I used two-by-six roof trusses. And they told me that a house built to this code would withstand a hurricane. I did, and it did. I guess no one else around here followed the code. Okay. Now, God's commands are not 
capricious. They're not frivolous. They're not punitive. They're good for us. God tells us to do things because he knows what's best for us. We're his children. He's our father. Now, some of you are thinking, some of you are kind of squinting at me here and think, hold it now. Is he saying that it's okay to obey God just to be rewarded? Well, I kind of said that, didn't I? Well, God kind of said that. Look at Malachi 3.10 sometime when you get home. See, God's command was to tithe. He told his people, whatever you get, you take the first 10% and you give it to me. Whatever you get. That's the command. Guess what? They weren't obeying that. They weren't doing it. They weren't bringing the whole tithe. And in Malachi 3.10, God said, you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this. Did you get that? You obey, and here's why. You test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. All the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. You mean, put my 10% in just so I'll get the blessings? Test me. Test me on this. Is it really okay for us to obey God because we're going to get something out of it? Well, it's not the top reason, but it's okay. Not the top reason, but it's okay. Because you see, if God gives us a command with a promise, try it. (laughs) He says, try it. And if you try it, guess what will happen? You'll build your faith. He will reward. And you'll build your faith and you'll grow up and you'll keep growing up and you'll finally realize that there is a fourth level. The fourth level, finally the one we look at is, we obey sometimes in faith and trust and love. We obey out of fear, we obey because of duty, we obey for our own good, and we also obey in faith and trust and love. You hope, you young parents hope your children will grow up to obey your will, not because you're going to spank them, or not because they know they've got to, or they know they're going to get a reward, but because your child believes that you are right, Because they trust in your wisdom, and because they love you so much, they would never want to hurt you. That's what you hope as parents. That's the level you want to get them to. How do you get them there? You get them, you start with fear, and you get a little duty in there, and you show them there's some rewards for obeying, and they may get there. God wants us to grow up to this kind of obedience. He wants us to get there. I've said the other ways are okay. They're not the best, but they're okay because they'll help get us here. There's some great stories of this kind of obedience in the Bible. I already mentioned a few of them, but there's some other. Uh, My favorite one of all times is David and his three mighty men. 2 Samuel 23, you can go home and read that. Josheb and Eliezer and Shammah, they were mighty men. 
Joseph killed eight uh, eight thousand Philistines by eight hundred Philistines by himself. Eliezer struck down so many Philistines one time that his hand froze on the sword. He, he was just whacking them down. God was giving him victory. He couldn't turn the sword loose at the end of the day. Shammah got attacked in a bean field. All the other Israelites fled. Shammah stood his ground and slew the enemy as long as they came. Those were three of David's top mighty men. And one day they were with him. They were in a cave. They were at war with the Philistines. They were close to where they could see Bethlehem. David grew up in Bethlehem. He looked down there and he saw the well by the gate. And he remembered how good that water was out of that well. And he said, the way the Bible tells it, it's just like he said it to himself. Oh, I'd like to have a drink out of that well. Oh, if somebody would just go get me a drink out of that well, that'd really be neat. Josheb, Eliezer, and Shammah went. There were a bunch of Philistines between them and the well. But they went. They fought their way through the Philistines. They got the bucket of water, and they fought their way back out. And they went back to King David, who they loved so much that his every wish was their command. He hadn't even commanded them to do that. But they had such trust in him and such faith in him and such love for him that if that was what he wanted, that's what they were going to do. Say, God wants us to grow up to that kind of obedience. He wants us to get to the point where, let's see here. I don't know the big picture. I'll obey because my father does. He knows what he's got going on in my life. Uh, This doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to obey because I trust him to work it out. I don't really want to do this. I'll still obey because I really want to always do what pleases him. Is this the best reason to obey? Yeah, this is it. This is the best reason to obey. And the closer we get to this, we get there by going through the other stages, but the closer we get to it, the more abundant our life's going to become. But we won't get there without obeying. I will obey. Now, plant this seed well. Plant it well. I will obey him. Remember, we've said every week there's a difference between knowing and understanding and living something. You know it. I know you understand the concept, but live it. That's what Jesus came for. He came for us to have an abundant life. It's attainable. That's his plan for you. The Holy Spirit's ready to help. God ready to pour out his blessings, but only when you obey. You've got to put these into practice. That's where we started with. The wise man and the foolish man. Start obeying is what I'm trying to tell you. Out of fear, if you're there, okay, obey. Out of duty, if you're there, okay, obey. Out of self-interest, okay, obey. Someday, out of faith and trust and love. Remember John 8, 29? Jesus said, I always do what pleases him. Let me give you a simple picture that will help you this week, I hope. What Jesus said was, I always do what pleases him. That meant that sometimes... Jesus wanted to do what God wanted him to. And we're that way too. Are there some things that God wants you to do that you want to do? Yeah. There's sometimes we differ. Sometimes he wants one thing, I want something else. Jesus ran into that in the garden. God wanted him to go to the cross. Jesus said, I don't want to go. 
He looked at both of them. He analyzed them. He said, okay, I'll do what God wants. I will do what pleases him because I always do what pleases him. We understand that concept. We understand it in everything else. Do you know which diets work? The diet that you follow. They all work. I mean, some of them are crazier than others, but they all work if you just do them. And you've got a choice. Every meal, every snack, every hunger pain, you've got a choice. I know what the diet says to do, and I know what I want to do. Which one am I going to pick? Well, if you always choose the right one, guess what? You will lose weight. I know I'm supposed to exercise. I don't feel like getting out of my chair. Your choice. You make the choice. If you choose the right one, you'll lose weight. It's not that tricky. Not that complicated. Jesus always made the right choice. That's why he lived a sinless life. We don't always make the right choice, but in what we're talking about here, we've got a choice of, will I do what God wants me to do, what will please him, or will I do what pleases me? You're going to have a choice so many times this week, hundreds of times, you're going to run into that choice. If you have firmly planted in your mind, I'm a child of the king, he's my father, and I will obey him, you'll make the right choice more often. Start making the right choice more often, and you're going to find out what happens. Next week, we'll find out what happens. I will obey him. That's your way to abundant life. All right, we've planted three seeds. We need just one more. I am a child of the king. He is my father. I will obey him. Now, what's he going to do about that? Well, when I live like I'm a child of the king, and he's my father, and I obey him, next week, we'll find out what he'll do. Even our initial step in deciding to be a Christian, it's called obedience. You know, the Bible says it that way. The Bible says that people obeyed the gospel. Obedience is so fundamental to our relationship with God. The good news, the gospel is that Jesus died for you. He offers you redemption. He offers you sanctification. He offers you glorification. If you'll claim it, if you'll claim it, if you obey his simple command. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't obeyed that proper command, that's a good place to start. Obey that from your heart. He will begin to bless your life. If you need to take that step or if you have some other public need, we invite you to come while we stand and sing this song.